Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrell with a special edition of Keeping Score. Last week, the top 15 moments in the sports business of the decade. This week, the decade involves sports tech. Next week, philanthropy. The week after, looking ahead to 2020. So let's get at it. 15 to 1. We'll move kind of quickly. Number 15, data analytics. Whether it's a team front office employing a cap room specialist, a coaching staff using predictive analytics, an apparel company using purchase data to better understand consumer behavior or the like, data analytics has left its mark the past decade. 14, paywall. We saw the closing of many physical newspapers this decade with the media companies behind them opting instead for digital content on their website. 13, ticketing. Going to a sporting event is still core to the sports experience, but in the past decade, paperless tickets replacing conventional scrap. 12, media rights. Past decade defined by mega deals and sports media rights. New networks, broadcast rights, digital rights, streaming rights on demand. Or whether it's over the top, media rights deals now not uncommon to be in the billions. Number 11, sport for cause online. Brands and leagues should always be compelled to give back, but this past decade provided extra motivation. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Number 10, sports gaming. Whether it's traditional gaming, fantasy sports, or the fusion of the two, media companies are covering it. Number 9, eSports. Sells out arenas. It's a Division I intercollegiate sport. Professional leagues continuing to grow. Countless other upward trajectories. Number 8, social media's changed the world. We'll talk about it in the tech perspective in a couple of minutes. Number seven, connectivity. Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, mobile data plans, cloud services, Internet of Things, and getting devices communicating with other devices has creating, created opportunities that are effectively unlimited and limited only by that creativity. Number six, wearables. Sport and fitness wearables emerged in the last decade and are here to stay. Number five, cameras. Built into devices, seen as value add to tech products, especially mobile devices. And then aerial cameras started in the Super Bowl in 1984, but on and on with sports TV. Number four, content. In media, content is king. Text, audio, video, and all other possible creative combinations powered the 2010s to call and claim everything from viral memes to over-the-top programming. It is content, and that's what's driving us now. Number three, smartphones. Yes, Virginia, there are smart devices galore, but here the core to our use is the mobile phone, iPhone, Samsung, and everybody else. Number two, second screen. It's hard to imagine a world without tablets, phones, and the many other connected devices we carry around with us. It was an advent of the 2010s and here to stay. And finally, high def. The most essential element for the sports consumer, watching the game. High definition pushed the envelope this decade so much that now anything non-high def seems archaic. Just think about those old wide world of sports clips, and you know what I mean. 
number 15 to number one in rapid pace. Special treat today, how about sports facilities and how they've integrated all of this and then the stadium of the future? Nobody better than Dave Bauer. He is one of the preeminent guys at Populous, senior project manager and market leader, directly responsible for client relations. He's done over 40 of the firm's 90 professional ballpark projects, including some of the minor league deals, Southwest University Park in El Paso, Goodyear, Arizona, Surprise, facilities for the Red Sox, and Major League Obvious is Populous's industry leader, minor league really important too, and Dave leads the way with vision as it relates to stadiums today and what they'll look like in the future. I give you David Bauer. Dave Bauer, market leader in the development of minor league baseball stadiums, but so much more for Populous. Talk about Populous generally and, and how you know it used to be uh, HOK, but uh, started kind of the whole world of architecture. Uh, and everybody's always from HOK or Populous. Give us kind of the elevator speech of of developing the world leader in architecture for well, sports. Well, I, I think that, uh, one, very fortunate to be involved with the, the company. Certainly, Pipeless has uh, been a, in the career there for 31 years. Mm -hmm. And for me, I've seen a lot happen over those years. The growth of the company itself, the growth of, of the sports practice. I mean, we, we consider ourselves a design firm doing architecture. And when we look at the challenges that have happened, We've seen certainly a lot of entities grow out of one common source in Kansas City. That, there's a common element that you can trace through the, the different bloodlines, if you will, of the different companies. But I think what, where we are today in the sports architecture practice is something that, that has taken us way beyond our wildest dreams, if you will. We are creating new venues, creating new opportunities. We're affecting trends that are happening throughout the industry, you look, whether it's uh, the food trends we talked about, all the different concession items are available for different parts of the country. We look at the different seating types. We look at what families are looking for. Uh, we, we've talked about you know, the generation of what is now a suite, how that came about. We focus now a lot of our attention on reducing uh, fixed seats in ballparks and creating more of the public spaces, public gathering places, any place you can have a conversation like this, enjoy the game, maybe maybe buy a drink, have it sitting on the, the counter in front of you with a hot dog, someplace you can just enjoy the environment, conversational, social atmosphere, it builds community, it builds social structure, but at the same time, you see it also affecting generations to come in our profession, in our, in our, in our games. Uh, the, the kids that come, when I take my grandkids to the games, those kids are, are pulling at my coattail to take them to the next game. So, so you see them then growing in that same generation like I did with my dad. My dad had season tickets to the Royals game, season tickets to the Chiefs game, and I went with him. I want my kids to go with me. I want my grandkids to go with yeah. me. And that, that's one thing about, to me, baseball, and I've, I've been privileged to work in the industry as long as I have. I played ball, couldn't get enough of it, happy to still be a designer in the market. But when I look at what we've done, all of the architects in the sports architecture business we have created and we continue to look for more ways to enhance the experience of the fan and the families and to grow that practice, to grow that, that, that generational experience that our families have. One of the things that we're learning from the seminar we had here at the baseball winter meetings is that baseball provides a sense of community cohesiveness that other sports may not. You described a little bit of it, but develop that a little bit more 
also in the context of your expertise in design, you know, designing areas where people will gravitate and talk, and maybe in places or in ways that they never would do in normal daily life. It's a good example. I mean, we talk a lot. A lot of the clubs have, uh, you know, a simple event called Thursday Thursdays, for example, where that's an opportunity for all cross sections of a community to come and gather at the ballpark. It's a social hour. Many times, um, the ballparks don't even have this area in visibility of the, of the field itself. A lot of times, it's off to the side. But as long as these people are in a social atmosphere, they're talking to each other. They're, they're listening, they're taking in, they're being a part, they're, they're communicating yeah. amongst yeah. themselves at the ballpark, then you've got that same experience. I mean, think about it. They're still buying your food and beverage. They're still buying a general admission ticket to get in. Yeah. And you're building their want to be in the ballpark. So it's, and it's, it's whether you take an area like we did in Nashville in the right field corner, which is a, a bar and it's got some you know games. That they're, they're coming down from Main Street. Uh, downtown there and they're coming down the hill and they're involved in the ballpark and they're taking that in it's a social atmosphere and it's a, just a place that people have to go to and so many of our ballparks now what we're seeing most is that these social areas are growing one two three four different social areas are not uncommon in ballparks um, you know instead of meet me in section two seat one meet me in right field corner meet me in you know this other location and that's what it's really becoming is again it's the socialization of our communities and, and it's important how do you explain to an owner not everybody but owners are always so conscious of roi and the dollars and a lot of what you're describing while important is not easily quantifiable as well how do you strike that balance well the, the fortunate thing for us is that uh, in almost every single case, I don't know of one that is not this case, but owners are looking for this. Owners are hungry to want to find ways to satisfy the needs of the fans. What is it going to take to get them? So the owners are not hesitant. Uh, the owners are, are uh, encouraging, if you will, us to move in that direction faster and do more of it. It's because, they, again, they see what's happening. Again, they see that from the ROI standpoint, like I said earlier, you're still selling food and beverage. You're still selling a GA. But at the same time, they're coming. It becomes a part of their life to go to the, your game. And they see that. Owners get that. Owners get that. So I guess the, the final big question as far as trends in the industry, and you all are uniquely qualified to talk about it given your international expertise, everybody is getting more um, separate and distant. We now have the devices which you can get everything on, and the idea is to make sure that you have uh, an ability to live your life in a sedentary and isolated existence should you choose to. Yet, you're in a position of attempting to design facilities that's all about social relationships and being a little more interactive. How does that work long term? What happens five years from now, for example? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, good. Good Who answer. knows, Who knows good what's going to happen in five years? I, I don't answer. think anybody could have yeah. predicted 10 years ago where we are today. Yeah. So I think the magic and what continues to drive us as designers is what is it that we want to be in five years? What do we want to see advance in our in our marketplace in the next five years? We we don't know what it is right now. Yeah. But I think when we continue to search for it and we continue to experience it in the faces of those that are coming to the ballpark and talking to those at the ballpark, working with owners that are uh, you know forward thinking in this thing, it's gonna evolve. And I just I'm very very excited about what the future holds. Again, I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know anybody does know what it is. 
but I'm looking forward to what it's going to be. What, what are my grandkids going to experience, Rick, when they come to the game? Well, and you are a trustee of history and legacy. So final question, uh, how important is the power of sports in doing what you do as designing showcase facilities for people? You know, I'm going to go off the topic of baseball for one yeah, second. Sure. I witnessed uh, two weeks ago my grandkids were involved in a robotics competition at the local high school. And when I saw those robotics teams, and these weren't the crash them up robotics. Yeah, these right. were the game-playing robotics. Yeah. Uh, when I saw those youngsters put together a team just as – I would put together a baseball team when I was the same age or a kickball team or whatever yeah. the sport was. These kids are still putting together a team. Each of them has an important part on that team for the robotic repair or construction, understanding the game, putting other teams together. And, and I watch those kids work that. So it, it's happening. The, the, that generation is getting it. They're learning about teamwork. I also see it. I mean, I'm fortunate to watch my grandsons play baseball also and soccer. Baseball... I will never get it out of my blood. I just, I just love it so much. I grew up and I never escaped it. But it's the game. It's the socialization of the game. It's learning to work with others. It's learning to play fairly with others. Respect. I mean, all of that is the same game, whether it's baseball, football, soccer, robotics. All of those have the very same key components. Leadership, respectability, the knowledge, technological knowledge, and the desire. So. Well, and I think what we are looking forward to with a company that can influence trends like this and a trustee of those trends, we're in very good shape. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much, Rick. Really I appreciate, appreciate it. All you do. Well, David has a unique way of integrating all of these items we've been talking about into facilities which are now the central home for Profit Center all over sports, stadiums, arenas all over the country, nearly $7 billion in that construction over the last four years, and it continues to grow. How about the Power of Sports Minute to end today? I think it's one of the keys that we talked about on the 15 uh, items. Social media. Social media has changed the world, and we're all understandably focused on the impact that it has on global politics these days. But outside of politics, nowhere that social media has more of an impact than in sports, and no particular part of sports has more of an impact than the social part. Witness the rise of social media influencers inside and outside of sports who can command seven-figure paydays from brands eager to reach their followers. Pro athletes are only as good as their Instagram stories. Ronaldo, 158 million followers. Neymar, 112. David Beckham, 54.9 million. LeBron James, 47 million. Gareth Bale, for example, 38.9 million. And it's no coincidence that one of the main arguments for NCAA amateur athletes' name, image, and likeness ownership fight is the desire to capitalize on their own social media followings. It is used for wealth. It is used for awareness. But most important to us, it's used for social good. Well, that's Keeping Score this week. We'd like to thank everybody for putting it together. And next week, we talk about philanthropy. Generally, the next week after that, a look ahead to 2020. I'm Ricardo, and you're Keeping Score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.